Muddy News Media. This news just in, listeners. The Athletic is extending its £1 a month offer for all new subscribers, meaning you can get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a brand new breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts for just a quid. This deal won't last forever, though, so don't miss out. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Football Show. Today, internationals. Something rotten and in a stately Denmark, we talk about England and Harry, who's not here to help. Premier League, it's no to big pictures, but check out these big fixtures. Spurs against West Ham, Man City Arsenal and Everton Liverpool. Is this where the toffees come unstuck? It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hey, listener, 15th of October, woo! And Totally Football Show is back underway. Very special lineup for you today. We have uh, Natalie Gedra of ESPN Brazil. Hello. Hi, Natalie. Also here, Duncan Alexander of OPTA, wherever that's based. Yes. Hello, Yes. Lovely to see you, Duncan. And a very big uh, totally welcome to our brand new guest today, Karen Carney, MBE. Also initials for you, Karen. Thank you very much. Hey, guys, you all right? Very well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for, for, for being with us. Uh, did, you, did you have a good international break, Karen? Um, I didn't really have a break, so I dip in and out of the men's and the women's football, so that's still going on. Their international breaks are different, so I love football, so for me, I'd rather not have a break and keep going with the momentum, so mm. I, I had a good good period anyway. All right, excellent. Well, it certainly left us with loads to talk about, and not least the exciting Project Big Picture which fans of that idea will be uh, heartbroken to know has been shot down by a special Premier League emergency meeting on Wednesday in which the clubs agreed, apparently unanimously, to remain as they are, but will uh, look at contributing to an emergency fund for clubs in League One and League Two. No Wickham then, Duncan. That is true, although I think the, the increase in revenue going up to the Championship probably covers that for us. So, All right. Uh, but it is, that is the best bit of news from it, is that, that you know League One and League Two clubs have been guaranteed that they can finish this season. And I think there was a massive danger that many of them wouldn't have. So that is the, that was the most urgent bit. Excellent. Excellent. As for the rest of some of the, well, some of the other ideas, I suspect they may be returning in some shape or form. That, that, that might just have been the opening salvo. We shall see. Uh, but uh, loads of things to discuss on field, not least the... Uh, Premier League clashes, uh, which we'll be getting onto very, very shortly. But first of all, there's an England defeat to discuss. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Maguire has to stretch again. He's off. He has uh, not been uh, taken off for injury. He's been sent off for two yellow cards in half an hour. We talked about the double mistake. He makes the first mistake. Don't go and make the second. Crikey drama Wednesday night then at Wembley as England slumped to a 1-0 defeat to Denmark and continued their steady slide back into a, the Hodgenera side that Gareth had previously seemed such a refreshing change from. Uh, Karen, you're a World Cup bronze medalist with England, over 100 caps. Do you bother watching the men, given that they're such a bunch of underachievers? <laughs> oh, come on now, that's harsh. Um, look, I'm an England fan, so uh, of course I'll watch the games. Um, 
I think when when you play for your country, you, you're an England fan regardless, men, women, futsal, whatever, you, you want to support your badge really and support your country. So yeah, I watched them. It wasn't the greatest of performances, I must admit, but I think the sending off was a big issue last night and changed the game really. Broadly speaking though, Karen, how do you feel about the way that England seem to be moving from the more exciting team, the kind of fresher team that we had under Gareth at the World Cup in 2018 and what we're seeing now? Well, I think you talked about the World Cup. That England played with a back three. They were counter-attacking. I don't think they played free-throwing football in 2018. I think people get it twisted. Last year they did um, and scored lots of goals and played with a back four. The reason why he's not playing with a back four is because there's no two centre-halves that are playing very well in the Premier League at the moment. So he's got to revert back to a back three, which means you lose an attacking player. And that changes the whole dynamic of the team and... For me, he doesn't trust his back line. He's playing with two holding midfielders, three centre-halves, really, or three defenders. That means two two attacking players miss out, and then that completely changes the dynamic of moving forward. Yeah, it's a very kind of rigid setup at the moment. And you have Harry Kane as well, who is also, you know, he, if you remember the, the game England won away at Spain in the Nations League in the last era of Nations League, um, Harry Kane kind of was sit, sat a bit deeper, sort of putting through balls uh, through for... For uh, for Sterling and that that worked. I mean, it's a very kind of rigid, structured team now, sort of set up not to lose. But as we saw last night, if you go a goal down, if you get a man sent off, that you never really felt like England were going to kind of mount a sort of cavalry charge and, and turn it round, really. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of talk uh, about Southgate not using Jack Grealish yesterday, but I think I'm trying to understand his choices because we always have to have to at least try to understand what's going on on, on the the manager's head and maybe it would leave uh, England uh, too exposed for for this match specifically especially on the midfield uh, with uh, Denmark having a a strong midfield and in terms of performance I don't know after the World Cup in Russia I think the expectations were really high uh, for for it to, to keep the momentum and I know it's really hard to keep a momentum for four years for a whole cycle but I think it's just uh, you don't see uh, the stability that that you expected from uh, semi-finalists. You know, in the past two years, I think we were expecting to see uh, less moments of. Because I know that the results are are not the problem. It's not about the numbers itself. Uh, even though yesterday. Um, they lost to Denmark, but uh, I think it's just a uh, feeling that it consolidated the work and it's just going uh, straight for, I think it was, it was just a lot of ups and downs in this past uh, two, two years. Do you think the creeping fear that kind of sinks its claws into every England manager has got its grip on, on Gareth as well now? Yeah, I think you possibly should, England manager contract should be like six months and then just switch it around because that seems, you know, everyone has a good six months. And then, I mean, you know, Sam Allardyce had a 100% record, let's not forget, in his one game. But you see it in the play as well. You know, Jordan Pickford looks a, a bit haunted at the moment. I mean, Harry Maguire, when he got sent off, I mean, the, the second booking, possibly a little bit harsh. I mean, he did follow through on the player, but, you know, he did get the ball, as he points out. But... You know, often when a player's sent off like that, he he's angry or he protests, but he just looked really haunted. He looked like a kind of extra on Dawson's Creek or something. He just looked really kind of, <laughs> just a bit lost, really. And I think that sums up a lot of the a lot of the key positions in the in the England team at the moment. They're not 
they're either not in great form for their clubs or they just, you know, have other issues like Harry Maguire. And, you know, that might all change by next summer if and when the, the Euros happen. So I don't think it's like a, a terminal issue, but it's definitely something that we've seen in this international break. And I think overall the, the vibe of this international break hasn't been, hey, brilliant, this international football has been a bit like uh, everyone's getting ill and, you know, when's the Premier League coming back? What I would say about the England national team is for people, don't get caught up in it because... From, again, talking from my experience as being an England international, England managers, England players are only judged at international tournaments. So yes, this is important. This Nations League, but really, if we could, if you were said to us, finish third or not qualify, yes, there's detriments to it. But or would you prefer, rather have a bigger run in the European Championships? Would you have rather have a better run in the World Cup? You take that all day. So Gareth and the players will only be judged on international tournaments. Denmark will only be judged on international tournaments. So um, it's still a building process, so there's still a long way to go for both sides. Mm. But you do, you do see something building there, do you, Karen? I see at the moment, I, I agree with Duncan, I see a lot of players that are not in form. I see Gareth trying to change shape. Like I said, in, in, in 2018 in the World Cup, they played with the back three, back five in essence, and played counter-attacking football. That only gets you so far. The majority of the goals were from set plays. In, I think Harry Kane got six or something crazy like that. We didn't score that many from open play because that's because of the formation. So we tried to shift to a 4-3-3, a more dominant formation. We don't have the players to play at the moment. We don't have two centre-halves that are playing well. That affection midfield. So he's had to go back, actually, a year, I believe, to prepare England to be hard to beat because we're, we're not good at the back at the moment. So that changes everything. Your goalkeeper's not in form. You've got no two centre-backs. It all shifts. So I actually think he's gone had to go back a year and it's not actually his fault. Hopefully in six months' time, the players have more games, more form and going into the tournament where you are judged, he's in a better position to pick his best 11 because how many, how many teams have won major tournaments with the back three? I can't think, if I'm honest. Can't really name him. And to be fair with Gareth, uh, I think we, we also have to remember that he recently had to deal with a few extra field problems, extra pitch problems. And, and this is not ideal, of course, for his work, for the way he wants to solve England's problems. I, I'm a big fan of everything that Gareth Southgate's been doing for the English team. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure that he, he did not have this on his plans for, for these recent uh, months. I mean, it's the kind of lot of the international manager, isn't it? If you go back to the start of this year, you'd have said Joe Gomez was shaping up to be the kind of dominant centre-half for England and his, his form's, you know, really tailed off. And, you know, it's not like England labouring is a new thing. Like someone asked me last night how many goals England have scored when they've been down to 10 men. Um, I had a look. It's one in the entire history of the country, which was Raheem Sterling's penalty against Iceland last month. So, you know, that was the 17th and 18th red cards of English national team history last night. Um, you know, England aren't a team that kind of, you know, prosper when they go down to 10 men. Mm. All right. Well, despite all that, then some positives uh, for England ahead of the game against Belgium in November. Given that the real stuff happens then next summer, let's let's move on. Uh, from the midweek internationals, but not before quickly saying well done to Scotland. You're top of your group right now, your Nations League group in the second tier of that. Eight games unbeaten under Steve Clark, a 1-0 win over the Czech Republic at Hamden on Wednesday night. Ryan Fraser with the game's only goal. Serbia next, of course, in their qualifying match, the final qualifier for next summer's European Championship. Fingers crossed for that A. 
Now, more international stuff later on, not least a big discussion about Peru-Brazil. But uh, after this, we'll get on to the Premier League weekend. We know everyone thinks this season is going to be different, but at Paddy Power, we're staying positive because isn't the new normal just the same old football? Avoid unnecessary journeys? That's Fulham's trip to Anfield off. Self-isolate? Some strikers do that very effectively already. You see? New normal, same old football. And that's why if one leg of your four-plus-fold Acker lets you down, you get your money back as a free bet on all football matches and all markets. The Acker Cracker from Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18plusbgambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Kicking off the Premier League weekend, it's the Merseyside derby. Everton and Liverpool meet often, but rarely, if ever before, have they come together with Everton top of the league and Liverpool fresh from a 7-2 thrashing. Let's begin our look at the game by testing the pre-match temperature on Merseyside. In the red corner, Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Wrap in the blue. Matt Jones from the Blue Room. Matt, 10 years since the last Derby win, this hasn't been the first time that hopes have been high for Evertonians going in. Where do you think you might blow it this time? <laughs> it's good to see everybody else has got the same sort of confidence in us as, as we have going into these fixtures. And do, do you know what? There is a serious angle to that because down the years we have gone into these matches, be it confident or not, and it's felt like Liverpool have, have written their own scripts, you know, the captain scored a hat-trick against us. We've lost in the last minute at Wembley. We've lost in the last minute at Goodison. We've lost in the last minute at Anfield. We've lost to the the, the kids slash fair team in, in the FA Cup. You know, any which way possible, Everton have managed to, to blow this fixture. But I think what, what you could say is that this, this does feel a little bit different. And I've decided going into this week and going into this game, James, that I'm going to be ultra positive and not let any negative thoughts enter my head when it comes to Everton because... By and large, this team and this manager haven't given us any reason to start thinking negatively about them because they've been excellent this season. Manages to find Ziggerton. Here's Calvert-Lewin for the hat-trick. He's done it again. This is incredible. Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Goals galore. Neil, it is a derby. Everton at top of the league and Adrian's probably going to be in goal. Is that a nightmare scenario? No, I think that Liverpool got some good results at the start of last season with Adrian. Uh, he's a he's a, about as good a second choice goalkeeper as sides are likely to get, and at some point your goalkeeper gets injured. I would rather, for instance, have Adrian than Joe Hart, who's uh, who's, who's Tottenham's second choice goalkeeper. I think that Adrian is a uh, you know he's somewhere between the fifteenth and twenty third best goalkeeper in the Premier League. Uh, that's likely to be the level that you're going to get for a second choice. I'd rather, for instance, have Adrian than Kepa or Calabre, uh, Caballero. Who's at Chelsea? You know, when you go down the actual direct rivals, Liverpool have got. I would rather have our lad quite consistently. Uh, but that said, I'd obviously much rather have Alison Becker because he's the best goalkeeper in the world. Um, I'd rather have Adrian in goal than Jordan Pickford. Matt, who would you rather have in goal, Pickford or Adrian? <laughs> it's, it's a difficult one. Can I say Robin Olsen maybe instead? Is that is that an option? Probably just Pickford in fairness, but it, it has been a tough time for, for Jordan, obviously. And you know, I think going back to one of those games you mentioned there about how Everton have lost these these derby matches in 
in comical ways. The, the sort of start of his downfall was that Vivek Origi game back in, in 2018 because by and large at Everton since since he'd arrived at the football club he'd been really good up till that point and, and since then his, his confidence has gone a little bit and unfortunately now we're looking at a goalkeeper certainly for Everton you know he's played pretty well for England by and large but for Everton he's somebody who's making all kinds of different mistakes his shot stopping's not great his distribution's been poor he just looks to be in a bit of a muddle with himself at the moment and it feels very much as though Jordan's drinking in, in the last chance saloon uh, this season. He's going to need a big performance at the weekend because you know Liverpool are going to attack and are going to have lots of chances. Again, now Grealish is in. Grealish for seven. A little dink. A cheeky finish. It's seven for Aston Villa against the champions at Villa Park. This is truly staggering. I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm expecting Liverpool to play like that again. They have won every competition possible over the last few years. And the reason they've done that is because they've got quality players, a quality manager, and they react to defeats really well. And I think everybody will be expecting a reaction. Everybody will be expecting the Liverpool team that have swept the board in terms of honours in recent years. But that being said, that doesn't mean there's, there's not areas where Everton can get at them. That, that high line is something the front three will look to exploit. I think Everton can finish top four, and I think that we shouldn't patronise Everton by talking about top six should be the limit of their ambitions. Everton shouldn't have any limits to their ambition, frankly. If we see last season, you know, top uh, third place goes with about 66 points. Everton can break 66 points. Everton can break 70. Going to Goodison Park is always a big game, a concerning game. But the idea of being scared going there, no, no, no. I think it'll be really competitive. They look in good shape. But... This is a Liverpool side that's gone to all sorts of places and got a result, and Goodison should be no different. What would it mean if you were to win this on Saturday? Going to Tottenham and winning on the opening day of the campaign was not a very Everton thing to do. And I think it would be another indication for me, certainly, that this is this is a different Everton. It's not another false storm. We've got a, a world-class manager. We've got a couple of players who are, are at the, the absolute top of the game. And I think it would just fill me with confidence and fill me with excitement for, for the season to come. But... While Everton may not necessarily finish in the top four or win something, this side and this manager are going to be a lot of fun to watch over the next few months. Many thanks to Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Wrap and Matt Jones from the Blue Room. Wow, so 10 years to the exact day this Saturday since Everton last won a derby against Liverpool. Uh, by the way, in the 10 years since, only once have they come into this game above uh, their neighbours in red. That was May 2013, and the game finished 0-0 at Anfield, which these fixtures at Goodison Park often do. What, what do you think about this game then? Uh, there's no Alisson, as, as we mentioned there. While Everton's front three are back together, Richarlison is fit and banging. Is that right, Natalie? Yes, he scored uh, for the national team, and he did really, really well. He was one of the best players, and he had an ankle problem, which is absolutely solved. He treated in a very intense way because he really wanted to play. So Richardson uh, is back and it's doing really well. But uh, it's going to be very interesting for a number of reasons, actually, because um, I heard from a few friends that Everton hasn't faced any big threats in this campaign. But uh, Spurs that were just like warming up, did not have a good game that day. Definitely not a good game for Spurs. But then they had uh, West Brom, Crystal Palace and Brighton. I'm not sure if that is really fair because Brighton's been playing really well. For example, Palace had uh, good moments. But it's definitely a test for the character of Everton, of this team. Because they show the face, they show the personality this season. And they can show again 
uh, they, they can show against Liverpool that this is sustainable, that uh, who they are, that who, what they're building. And uh, all big teams that uh, won or impressed in the past years have shown this identity in big moments, in big matches like this. So I'm very curious to see how Everton will behave in this Liverpool match. Karen, this business of not having won this game, not having won against Liverpool for 10 years, uh, in a sense, it doesn't matter because those were different teams. But in a sense, does it? Because will it be on the players' minds? Will it be in Everton's minds as they go into this, that this is the fixture they can't get right? Yeah, it does. It, it does. No matter what anyone says, it does. It has a mental block on you as a player. And the only way to get over that is, is by winning. We had it um, with Germany and uh, we had a mental block over Germany. We hadn't beaten them in for such a long, long time, and it was a real, real issue. Um, and we actually did it in the bronze medal match in 2015. We got over that hurdle, and it was, it was a massive moment. So it does matter to players. It definitely does. And, and I think this is the, most, the perfect time for Everton to do it in terms of Liverpool have come off the back of a 7-2 defeat. It's the first game back after an international break, so they haven't had time to train and gel and get back into things. So as a player, that rhythm isn't great. So I think it's the perfect time and the Everton players are playing well and they're confident and they've got a fantastic manager. The only thing I see that Everton need to do is they need to exploit the high line of Liverpool like Aston Villa did. They have Richarlison, but he's more out wide with his pace and behind. I'm not sure they've got the same threat that, that Aston Villa did with pace with Ollie Watkins to run him in behind over that high line. OK, are there other ways that Everton can hurt Liverpool? Yeah, they can get the full-backs involved, they can get higher up, they can they can say Richarlison come in and play as a second centre-forward maybe and get those runs more centrally. Calvert-Lewin, you might be expected to run the channels a little bit more. But I think they'll try and play against them and I don't think that'll be to their... I think that might play slightly into the hands of Liverpool. Mm, what, changing their game to, to kind of... To better well, when, well, when you come... When I spoke about Rodriguez, he comes and plays infield, he'll come in and then... That's great, but then it leaves the, the full-backs of Robertson to, to penetrate in the other direction spaces right. that he leaves and he won't track back. And also, if you come in field, you're running to more bodies where the space is over the top. So I think it plays into Liverpool's hands more than Everton, despite the good form of Everton at the moment. With the exception of a 45-minute spell in Istanbul, Ancelotti does have a pretty good record of, 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 of dealing with, with Liverpool and, and, and you know more recently Klopp's, Klopp's side. So, so we'll see. Duncan? I just want it to be a good game, to be honest. I mean, th I might rip up all I know about science and football if this game is bad, because coming into this game, these are the two most creative teams on expected assists this season. You know, they've both scored a lot of goals. Liverpool obviously let in a lot as well. They've both looked, both forward lines have looked really, really good. Yeah, it's a Merseyside derby at Goodison Park. Last year it ended 0-0. The year before it ended 0-0. The year before that ended 0-0. Hashtag I could go on. Um, no no mm -hmm. fixture, actually, specific fixture ever in top flight history has ever finished 0-0 uh, for four games in a row so you know this this match does always have a lot of build-up and then often disappoint so yeah I think I think for a neutral all we want is a really entertaining Merseyside derby and if there's a season to end this this is the it's the current one because yeah. of the number of goals we're seeing of course and uh, Everton has uh, just one clean sheet in Liverpool as well and there's a big uh, argument uh, on the Adrian and Allison thing, and of course Liverpool's going to miss Allison. Why wouldn't you miss uh, one of the best goalkeepers in the world? It's it's obvious, but uh, let's remember that Liverpool's problems were already there because of the way they were defending. Because Leeds scored three times against.
against them. They had just one clean sheet that was against Chelsea that played for with uh, 10 men for 45 minutes. And in a match where Alisson saved the penalty, so they could have uh, scored, Chelsea could have scored. So it's not all on Adrian, of course. Uh, we, we can't expect any team to have two, two Alissons, you know, two, two goalkeepers in the same level. But uh, yeah, it's not only up to that, you know. Um, Karen, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, uh, there's been a lot of suggestions about why and how he's been turned into this cold-blooded uh, goal-scoring machine. What do you think? I mean, in actual kind of practical terms, what has actually happened to him? What's different this time around about him? I watched him um, the very first, well, against Aston Villa probably 18 months ago, and he was running the channels, he was running everywhere. And when the ball was needed to be put into the penalty area, he was nowhere to be seen. What he's done now is he plays in between the 18-yard box, right in between the two centre-halves. He doesn't really vacate that. If you look at his goals, you look at his heat map, that's where he is. He's in the centre of the pitch, high up in the 18-yard box. So when balls are delivered into him, he's in the right place, the right time to put the ball in the back of the net. So he's not doing stupid running. His runs are more calculative. His hold-up play is impressive. But he's also got a better player to give him the ball. But I do think that the manager... Sometimes when you're a young player trying to put an impression on, you go and do everything, you go and chase down everyone, you run into areas here, there and everywhere. It's not your job. Your job is to be in the 18-yard box and to put the ball in the back of the net. And that's the hardest thing sometimes, not running and being smart. And while everyone else is moving, the game's moving really frantic, standing still was probably the hardest skill in the world to do and to be calculative and be smart about your movement. And that's what he's done. I think Duncan, Duncan Ferguson was really keen that stay in the width of the 18-yard box, and that's what he's done. Are there any other players, Karen, uh, that really stand out for you in terms of the way that they don't move, that they move by not moving? I think probably not in the Premier League. I know we talk about it, but probably one of the best players in the world, Lionel Messi. If people go and watch him live, they all go, wow, he walks a lot of the game. And that is because the game he's moving so, so fast everyone's running everywhere, if you just stand still, spaces appear. And he picks up the ball from standing positions and then he goes. And the best players, like Zidane as well, they just wait. They just wait and wait and wait and they're patient, find little spaces, one yards, two yards, and that's when it comes up. Probably the, the best players are the number 10s, the attacking midfielders. But as a centre-forward, standing still in between your two centre-halves and then making a darting run, that's where he's come alive and, and into his own. Brilliant. All right. Or we'll be looking back on the uh, goldless draw between Everton and Liverpool in Monday's show. Right now, let's move on after this to another of the, the big games coming up this weekend, Man City-Arsenal. I don't know about you, listener, but these days, you know, when you're doom-scrolling through the news on Twitter or you're just bewildered by who Man United haven't signed this week or you're swiping through your dating apps, yes, apps, plural, it can be pretty hard to find the hours in the day to sit down and just learn more. And if you think you don't have the time to develop yourself, you need to check out Blinkist. Blinkist is for anyone who's time poor but wants to be knowledge rich. The app takes the key insights from over 3,000 non-fiction bestsellers and gathers them together in 15-minute blinks, which are text and audio explainers that help you understand more about the core ideas. 12 million people are already using Blinkist to deepen their knowledge in areas like personal growth, management, leadership, mindfulness and happiness and I am one of them. I like to get my daily walks in and recently I've been listening to the very excellent and influential Think Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And next up is Mark Manson's New York Times bestseller, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F***. 
you'd hope that one of those two will help me live my best life. Now, because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Blinkist want to give you a free seven-day trial and 25% off their premium membership. All you need to do is head to Blinkist.com slash athletic. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash athletic. Come on, what are you waiting for? Take out your seven-day trial today and get 25% off at Blinkist.com slash athletic. Blinkist, big ideas in small packages. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. It's the third instalment of Pep and Mikel Arteta's uh, Master and Apprentice series uh, coming up this Saturday at 5.30, actually. Mark that one in your diaries. A Man City taking on Arsenal at the Etihad. They won against Arsenal 3-0 there in the first game back after lockdown. Then Arsenal did them in the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. This, though is an away fixture against a big six side in the league, the kind of game that Arsenal haven't won in almost six years since doing it, in fact, to Man City back in the days of Arsene Wenger in January 2015. What do you think about this time, Natalie? Well, uh, on the matches against City in the FA Cup semi-final that you mentioned, and and recently twice against Liverpool, Arsenal didn't mind uh, not having so much of the ball. Like in the semi-final, they had 29% of possession. They had only four shots on target and they won. Uh, and against Liverpool in the Premier League last season, they, they had 31% and they won as well, 2-1. And in the Community Shield was about the same. And recently, it didn't work so well against Liverpool in the Premier League. So uh, I, I really admire how they always play from the back in spite of not always having the ball. But I'm not sure if maybe they can think about changing this approach, think about uh, having more the ball, uh, which is very, very hard against City, but uh, they, they need to do something different from what they, uh, what they showed last time against Liverpool because we're talking about two big teams who like to have the ball. Mm. So I'm very curious to see how, how Arteta is planning out this, this approach. City maybe without Kevin De Bruyne, although no word yet that I've seen about uh, his absence uh, looked like he'd picked up an injury for uh, Belgium. Uh, the two teams coming into this uh, 14th in the league and fourth in the league, which is not that unusual, except that it's City that's 14th and, and Arsenal fourth, Duncan. Yeah, I think you can argue that that game at City last season was the was the first game back and it was still very early in the Arteta uh, evolution slash revolution at, at the club. And I think he's really kind of made massive progress since then. Um, you know, Arsenal scored more goals from sequences of ten or more passes um, than any other team since since football resumed in lockdown, and that is previously a kind of area that a Pep Guardiola team would have would have massively dominated. And you do start to wonder a little bit whether, you know, the kind of methods that both Guardiola and Arteta use that when they come into a club, it's really effective. Um, and whether you know, this is the first time Guardiola has ever gone to a fifth season at a club, and whether it does feel a little bit like the City team is not stagnating, but you know they're not quite as they're not quite operating as, as slickly as they used to, and I think that isn't the case with Arsenal. So I think you know this is Arsenal's best chance of winning away at a big six team for some time. You mentioned earlier how long it, it is. It, the last time they did win away at a big six team uh, is closer to the release of the Hangover than it is to now. Um, although I suggest it's Arsenal that are the team with the actual Hangover, but I think this is a this is an aspirin of a game that they can uh, they can approach fresh. Run and, with uh, it, Duncan. Win. Yeah, don't know where that was going, but I think Arsenal will be more focused. So yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, 
Karen, what, what's your take then after providing a very refreshing breakdown of, of what really is going on with, say, England and uh, and Liverpool's vulnerability with the, with the with the high line? What's your take about Man City's fall off in form and Arsenal's chances against them? Um, again, it goes back to Manchester City's defence. You know, they've never had any issues with scoring. Very prolific. Since Zunes and company left, they didn't replace him. And I'm not talking about just technically and tactically, I'm talking about character. And that's a massive one for me that I don't think Manchester City, they've recruited a lot of players, but I don't think they've recruited the right characters, the right leaders. They brought in the young centre-back, Diaz, because of his character, but he's still very, very young. That's a lot to put on his shoulders. And I think in midfield as well, I don't think they've got the holding midfield. I don't think Rodri's actually got the legs to get around the pitch as as best as Fernandinho did maybe two or three seasons ago. So I think their recruitment hasn't been great, if I'm honest. And I think Arsenal have signed Partey, mm. who's a top player, and I'm thinking Man City should have signed him. He's the type of player that I think City should have gone for, someone that can is technically good, can drive the ball forward, but has got the mobility to get around the pitch as well. So I think Arsenal have added a really, really good acquisition. I think they're playing really top football. You look at all their goals they've scored. They play, the majority of them start from the goalkeeper and they play right through the thirds. It's fantastic football. It's brave. It's high risk though, but it's high reward. Um, and I think out of two managers, Arteta looks the freshest. I worry about Pep Guardiola being slightly burnt out at times. That's my, that's my concern. Um but yeah, I think, again, if you're going to beat anyone, Arsenal now is the time to do it against Manchester City. Standing still good for centre-forwards, not so good for managers. And regarding City, I think there's, there's still a lot to see. I know there's a lot of suspicion, suspicious around City. Uh, but maybe we need to take it easy, jumping into uh, conclusions just after three matches. Because, you know, it's Manchester City. They showed again and again that they can come back stronger. I'm not sure that they hit that ceiling uh, of evolving. Uh, I think that some players can offer more for the team, like Rodri. Uh, I expected by by now that he would play a different part and he would play a bigger part, actually, in Manchester City. Uh, they need to be more accurate because they, they create a lot of chances and Arsenal is extremely accurate in these big matches. Uh, they don't have the ball so much, but they are very accurate and, and City sometimes is the opposite of that. And they need to be more stable because they, they start really strong and then they drop form. So, so yeah, uh, just looking forward to, to, to this, this fixture, yeah. Mm. Well, early days for Man City, as you say, not least for the fact that uh, they're still waiting for Sergio Aguero to uh, return from injury, which will certainly be a big boost to their prospects. Uh, there you go. Mention the fact that Arsene Wenger was the man behind their last away win against a big six rival. And as it happens, we had a chat with Arsene uh, this week on The Totally Show. You can hear our special bonus Wenger Unzipped podcast out right now. Uh, Arsene's been speaking exclusively and in no way with every other football outlet this week uh, with us <laughs> on, on that show. So it was a sure. great interview. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, I mean, yes, put, you know, really by nice. him. Of course. Thank you, Arsene. <laughs> uh, good. Thomas Partey potentially debuting. Not the only uh, pricey debut we might be seeing this weekend because it's also the first weekend of Premier League pay-per-view. Uh, two games available for you on Saturday. A 15 quid each, uh, more or less. Chelsea against Southampton, Saturday at 3 o'clock. And Newcastle against Man United later that day, kicking off at 8. Which would you buy and why, Duncan? 
Mm, that's a good question. Probably, I, I'll say Newcastle, Manchester United, because I'll probably buy uh, Wick and Millwall at three o'clock. So, you know, why not spend, why, why spend £15 when you can spend 25 and get maybe a goal? Newcastle United certainly has much to recommend it. It's the first time that Newcastle have faced United, fact fans, uh, being above them in the table since December 13, when David Moyes was in charge at Old Trafford, of course. We might be seeing Alex Tellers debuting at, at left-back. Uh, probably won't be seeing uh, Edison Cavani because he's still self-isolating. Are Newcastle the favourites in this game? Yeah, that's a pretty strong statement, Is I it? think. I mean, they won this fixture last season. Yes, I know. But the circumstances, the United's under a lot of pressure uh, after this very weak start. I'm actually very disappointed not to see Cavani this weekend because he really wants to be at his best against PSG on the Champions League. Uh, right. The match is next Tuesday and he hasn't played ever since March. So it would be important to see. And I think he would be very motivated. And I think uh, United at the moment, they need this fresh energy. And that's why also I'm very excited with Alex Telles because when he left Brazil in 2014, he was already very well regarded. He has powerful crosses. He always was very strong in attack, but in Galatasaray and then Inter Milan and then in Porto, he developed his uh, defensive skills. Uh, he was in the national team uh, now in the qualifying matches against Bolivia and, and Peru. He didn't start the matches against uh, Bolivia and Peru, but he was eventually involved in, in both matches. So uh, I'm sure he's, he's very much looking forward for his, his debut. Mm. No Martial because he's suspended. So uh, Cavani would have been a, a valuable alternative for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer under fire. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for this game. Uh, what about Chelsea Saints? You've got some possible debuts there. Hakim Ziyech for Chelsea. And also maybe Theo Walcott making his first Saints appearance since 2006. Mm. Chelsea, I mean, Karen, of course, a subject close to your heart. But uh, we did say before the season started that the lack of a pre-season for a club that had made so many investments might well really hamper their their, their early early season form. Do you see things taking shape there, or do you think there's going to be a long while before we know what Frank's eleven is? I think it will take time. I do. I think you can buy in all, all these players, but it takes time for them personally to settle into the country and then to fit into the best league in the world. The speed, the pace, the technical ability of it, it will take him quite a period to pick his best eleven because he's got so many players to pick and keep happy. I think he's got a real challenge ahead of him but and he's a relatively new manager as well. But they've got a great squad. Once he gets it right, there's no doubt that they'll be flying and they'll be highly competitive and what they've done so far is they probably haven't played their best football, they haven't gelled, but they've got results. And that's what he'll be pleased with at the moment. And then once they start to gel, they'll be formidable. By the way, speaking of 10-year anniversaries, as we were when we were discussing Everton's victory over Liverpool, it's 10 years this weekend uh, since Wayne Rooney announced he was leaving Man United for Man City. Do you remember this? Uh, this was back in 2010-11 season and uh, memorably reported by Fox Sports with the headline, So long, wh- because I'm not sure if they actually if that was a verbatim quote from him as he left the, the locker room after laying down his transfer uh, request or announcement uh, 10 years ago. What what a different decade it would have been had he moved across uh, to East Manchester, eh, Duncan? Sounds like a possibility for a flip reverse. Oh, something. yeah, actually. Well, one day, one day when we're not so weighed under with massive fixtures that we're uh, we're eager to discuss, like 
Sunday's Midlands derby. We'll get on to Sunday's games after this. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Sunday, listener, there's an exciting lineup of fixtures, uh, which include a quarter past seven in the evening, Leicester Aston Villa, which is, ooh, hello, uh, two of the top three going at each other. It's also the last Premier League fixture, this Leicester Aston Villa, to be played in front of fans. Back on the 9th of March, it was 4-0 that day for the Foxes, uh, bucking a, a, what was at the time a, a pretty dismal run of form. Coming into this, uh, Villa are the side who are really informed. They're along with Everton, the only teams with a 100% record and fresh from that 7-2 win over Liverpool last weekend. Karen, as a Birmingham girl, you must be really happy that Villa are putting your city back on the map. Not entirely. I'm a Birmingham fan, so uh, <laughs> right. No, that's that's not that's not what I want to hear. But um, I'd rather Birmingham be putting on the map. But as a as a Brummie girl, I, I hate to say it, I do like what Jack Grealish is doing. We went to the same school. We're from the same area. I like people from from where I'm from doing really really well, and I think he's putting us on the map. So I'm pleased for him what he's doing, and um, I like his performances. I think he's still got room to grow. And he's the captain of the club, and I know what that's like to be captain of the club that you you've grown up supporting and been there for a long time. So I know how much it means to him. Yeah, he's also kind of turned around the narrative about him regarding, say, his his, his last spell in the, in the Premier League when he was, I think, regarded as talented but somewhat wayward. I mean, that was the kind of the story that was told about him. I'm curious though. We did famous people who went to your school recently. Uh, who else went to your uh, school? Uh, Dan Evans, the tennis player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Jack, myself, Dan Evans and a girl called Aoife Mannion who plays for Man City Women in England as well. So the four of us went there and I'm sure there's a few other people as well. But it's re- it's weird that we've all gone through the sporting industry and yet it's not a sporting school. So um, we've done all pretty well. We're professionals. Yeah. yeah. Natalie, what about you? I didn't play football in school. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, it, it's funny that you mentioned that it was the last match um, with uh, people on the stadium mm. because so much has happened ever since uh, with Leicester and with Aston Villa, if you come to think about it. You know, Leicester had a pretty unstable end of the season. Nobody was really putting a lot of faith in, in Leicester. I know I was very suspicious when, when the season started. And, uh, well, it's, it's been so crazy, this, this uh, first uh, four rounds, that uh, I, I'm just still waiting to see how sustainable things are for, for Villa, especially because it wasn't so long ago that things were going really bad for them. And mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm very pleased to see their confidence is flowing more. Uh, which was not happening. And with Leicester, they did well in the transfer window. They were struggling a lot with uh, injured players. Uh, they lost Shewell, uh to to Chelsea, of course. So, yeah, I think it's just a, a, a big surprise and I, I'm not sure what to expect from this match, really. OK, well, going into it, a lot of eyes. Karen, you mentioned Jack Grealish after uh, his performance. It's also a great week for him playing well for England and then England playing badly without him. <laughs> Um, but he's been doing brilliantly in the in the Premier League. That's kind of the, the big talking point going into it. What do you think the big talking point is going to be coming out of it? Will it still be Grealish, or do you think Leicester might might put Villa back in their box a bit? I think it'll still be about Brian Little. It's one of the forgotten 
beefs of the early 90s as uh, Brian Little was Leicester manager and walked out to take over Villa. So it'd be good to see that reignited. But just to put it into context how good Villa have been, they've, um, they've scored 1% of all their Premier League goals in their last two games. And they've been in the Premier League quite a a lot um, and they haven't won their opening four games in the top flight since the domestication of hamsters so um, that's a big one to tick off when when was the domestication of hamsters uh, why do you, do you need to ask I when, mean, most people have taught this uh, young age it was uh, 1930 apparently. but when you say that prior to that uh, hamsters roamed wild and and were well from my to domestic from my, yeah from my brief research this week it turns out that they yeah they were wild and someone uh, thought that they'd be, make a good pet and, and i think they were in the sahara maybe so so are you saying that they previously didn't exist in people's households before the 1930s, 1930s. yeah it wasn't just that somebody kind of entered them into the classification of things that... No, it was a specific... Someone did it. There's a, it's on Wikipedia. Feel free to, uh, to, to delve deep. But anyway, that's the last time Villa won their opening four, so it's been right. a while. Yeah, I'd have those two facts the other way around my, myself. The, the hamster story is very much the lead. Well, <laughs> you know, football's a bit like running around a wheel going nowhere sometimes, so, you know. <laughs> so very, very true. Also on Sunday, Crystal Palace take on Brighton Sunday at 2 o'clock. As you know, this is a particular kind of derby. The both managers have coached in Sweden derby. A clash of the bottom two awaits at Bramall Lane at midday on Sunday. A Sheffield United take on Fulham. And Spurs are going to be hosting West Ham at 4.30 on Sunday. What could be the return of Gareth Bale. Ooh, apparently he's been looking sharp in training. Are we very excited about this? I am quite. Yes, absolutely, because uh, uh, they, they both had a, a weak start because uh, Spurs lost to Everton and then West Ham got beaten by Newcastle and then things completely changed. West Ham, they, they lost to Arsenal, but they, they performed really well. Uh, four new against Wolves, three new against Leicester. I'm just wondering, is there something really happening there, really happening for, for West Ham? Because apparently it, it looks like, and, and with Spurs, uh, it's, it's impressive because uh, they are already looking as an exciting team and Gareth Bale, regardless of how much time he needs to get fit and adapt, uh, he will definitely contribute to this good feeling, this confidence that is building up uh, around Spurs. It's a keenly felt fixture, this one, in, in, in terms of local derbies. But Spurs, as you mentioned, really turning things around from the way they were playing under uh, Mourinho last season, or at least that's the impression I have. We, certainly we look at the number of goals that they're doing. Karen, are you seeing a big difference in what Mourinho's asking of them? Yeah, he's brought in some very, very good, experienced players. I did watch them the first game against Everton and I thought they were shocking. Mm. Spurs, to be honest with you. But once you get your best players back fit, you get more players in, they start to gel. You know, you get two new fullbacks in, which is what they needed, and very, very good fullbacks for that matter. Harry Kane started to get back from his injury, starting to get fitter and fitter in every game. I think people underestimate the injury of a hamstring and what the effects it has on your pace and, and your body and the impact playing for England regularly is actually not great for you. And then Son's just been in, in unbelievable form in the midfield now. You've got Hoiberg, brilliant, starting to find his own. So he's bought very, very wise and then adding Gareth Bale to the mix as well. Very, very good squad. Speaking of, of Harry Kane, Mourinho seemed to be requesting that he was left out of uh, Wednesday's game against Denmark. He wasn't. He played the full 90 minutes as well. Will that impact 
on his performance, do you think, Sunday? I think what you got to look at it is, is again, from my experience, is playing for England is the greatest thing you'll ever do. But in terms of your career, it's probably not helpful in terms of the amount of games. I mean, is one if you go back to the 2018 World Cup, the England squad, they played in the semi-final. Can you tell me, having your heart, who's gone and done well since? And you think that's because of the fact that they were there in that World Cup as opposed to getting a proper Because the international tournament, people, it's, it's mentally. People underestimate how mentally draining it is, the lack of recovery time, the pressure, the stress, uh, the rest that you don't get, the lack of pre-season time and rolling into a new season. It takes you six months to recover from an international tournament. And I know that full well. And for the men, it's probably 50 times worse than what I've been through because it's probably, it's it's relative in stress to me and them, but their demands are probably a lot more. So if you're Harry Kane and you're England captain, you're expected to play every game, you're expected to lead, the pressure falls on you. The injuries that he's had, if I was Jose Mourinho, I'd be saying, please don't play him. Why play him? I need him for my Premier League and be smart and use him for when it matters in an actual tournament. But Harry Kane won't do that, he's England captain. And I would be exactly the same. I'd want to play for my country every single week and every single game. Mm. It's interesting. The same is true. A lot of the journalists who were out at that World Cup really fallen <laughs> off since. Um, but is, is Kane's form for Spurs? Is he not the one exception to that? Because he, you know, he has remained uh, a, a phenomenally effective and, and and dangerous player. Well, I think he's had different periods, hasn't he? He's had. As Karen said, he looked really tired after the World Cup. And then, I mean, Mourinho's point would, would hold more water if he didn't also play Harry Kane for 90 minutes in every <laughs> single game, you know? like So, I mean, yes, Kane this season has been brilliant. You know, he's he's got twice as many assists as any other player in the Premier League this season. But, you know, it, he's come back from a really bad hamstring injury. He's actually had an enforced rest for, for part of this year. And I think that has helped him. But... Yeah, I think Mourinho's going to play him on, on Sunday and he'll probably play the 90 minutes unless he gets injured, um, in which case the blame game will, will begin. And, and I just wonder, and Karen might, might help me out on this, how, in which extent a player needs to adapt his type of game, his style of game, after yeah. so many injuries, you know, especially with, with the characteristics that Harry Kane has. Natalie, it's a great point because has he got the amount of assists because of his hamstring injury? Is he running them behind as much? I don't think he is. I think he's actually going from a nine into a number 10, who now creates for Son, who's got the pace. And I agree, I think that's because of the injuries. But the thing about Harry Kane is he's intelligent to adapt his game. Not many players realise that. And I think that's a massive strength to Harry Kane. And again, the injuries have made an impact on his performance and how it happens. You have to keep adapting and evolving. Um, But I wonder again in the stats for his assist. Because of that, and I think it is. Harry Kane and Spurs part of what is a really tough opening run of fixtures for West Ham, but they've been dealing pretty well uh, with the last few games. This time around, they should have David Moyes back from his uh, quarantine and also uh, maybe welcoming their £30 million signing, Saeed Benrahma, who has come in from Brentford. Uh, That deal, I think, has not quite gone over the line yet. If they do complete it, what will Ben Rama bring to the Hammers for anyone who didn't watch enough Brentford last season to know? You know, he's a very, very skillful attacking midfielder. He can shoot with with both feet. He, you know, he's a he's one of those players that you that you watch and you think, wow, he's an incredible. You know, um, really talented player. Whether he can 
make that step up to the Premier League remains to be seen. But, you know, it, it's quite apt, I think, that this week when there's been such a talk about the, the football pyramid and what does the EFL offer to the Premier League and stuff, that, you know, you get players like him. And obviously West Ham have got Jared Bowen as well, who they got from the Championship. You know, there, there is a lot of talent in that division. Um, and for clubs like West Ham, I think that's a much more reliable place to go and buy players than, than some of their overseas purchases. So, yeah, I mean... I expect him to do to do pretty well and, and you know be a good addition. Also on Sunday, as mentioned, there's that clash of the bottom two at Bramall Lane. Sheffield United taking on Fulham at midday. And a couple of uh, debuts here, potentially. Rian Brewster, who's moved to Sheffield United from Liverpool. And Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who is at Fulham. I hope he's aware of that. That move caught a lot of people by surprise. Possibly he, he himself, uh, Karen. Yeah, we, we did an interview with him for a show last week and he, he kind of quietly admitted that he hadn't really spoken to the manager about the move. I think I think it might have been done between the clubs and it was a great feasible move for him. Fulham's around the corner, doesn't have to change and adapt too much and he obviously get to play 90 minutes week in, week out. But um, mm. I thought it was a little bit strange that he hadn't really communicated with, with Scott Parker when he said it, but um, he just obviously just wants to go and play. So fair play to him. Yeah, and... Uh... It, it, it's a pretty packed squad these days at Chelsea. Last time Fulham went to Bramwell Lane, they won 5-4 three years ago. Looking forward to more of that kind of thing then. This Sunday at midday, there's two games coming up on Monday. West Brom take on Burnley and Leeds are up against Wolves, which should be interesting. Uh, but we'll, we'll touch on those when we, when we do Monday mornings, Totally Football Show, rounding up all of the weekend's results and news very very shortly we'll touch on some more of the big international results from midweek hear about Cristiano Ronaldo and why Napoli were or weren't hard done by and also about the Neymar powered come from behind win that Brazil enjoyed midweek over Peru but first of all let's get some odds from Lee Price of Paddy Bauer hello listeners I'm going to level with you I've left this show segment to the last minute to record because I've been faffing about answering the existential question of what does nine to five actually mean? No, I'm not re-examining my work-life balance or Dolly Parton's back catalogue. Rather, some of the weirder odds used on the Paddy Power website. And if you're into that, you might be into Everton being priced at 14 to five this weekend. Although weirder still is that many people were tipping them to beat Liverpool. This year has turned everything upside down. Or perhaps you like the sound of Chelsea being 40 to 85 against Southampton two great youth academies of England. I'll let you insert your own gags about Chelsea, you heartless bunch. Or how about the real kicker? The draw in the Man City-Arsenal game is 15-4. to And actually, whisper it, would be my pick. What is going on? Anyway, I think I've spoken about enough odds now, and for enough seconds, crucially, to have gotten away with this one. Hopefully nobody in Power Tower listens to this, because, let's face it, nobody outside of it is. Much love, all the best, Please don't wrap me out. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. We mentioned England getting beaten by Denmark. It wasn't the only upset midweek in the Nations League matches. Ukraine, who'd lost their previous three matches, including a 4-0 defeat by Spain last month and a 7-1 thrashing by France, went and beat the Spanish... Uh, on Wednesday night, same night, Germany drew 3-3 with Switzerland. Italy and Netherlands drew 1-1. And France beat Croatia again. Did you see the second goal for this, by the way? Oh, bon ballon, bon ballon, bon ballon aussi! Oui. Bon ballon 
magnifique en deux gestes parfaits s'enchaîne à l'arrivée Kylian Mbappé ne manque pas Paul Pogba deep in his own half absolutely hoofs it up to Luca Dean who may actually be out injured he, was, he had an ice pack on uh, after this game so I think there's a slight doubt about whether he's going to feature in the derby Luca Dean but anyway so Pogba glorious guided diagonal to Luca Dean way out on the on, on the left and he just first times it into Mbappé who first times it into the Croatia goal and it is it was goal of the midweek of the ones I saw uh, I'm pretty confident it was goal of the midweek anyway uh, other international news Portugal beat Sweden 3-0 and then Cristiano Ronaldo tested positive yikes for Covid-19 he'll now be uh, isolating as I imagine will a French starlet, Eduardo Camavinga, who got his shirt afterwards. He was really excited for having Cristiano Ronaldo's shirt from the game. And he, he put on Snapchat, I will never wash this. <laughs> better, better, better wash it now, Eduardo. Well, no, actually, I was thinking about this. Like, don't wash it. In, really? And it will become a, the, the most famous artefact ever in about 10 years, maybe. Possibly so. Uh, curious situation for Juve, though, to have uh, their biggest star testing positive because because the other thing that happened midweek is that they were awarded a 3-0 win over Napoli uh, for the, the match in the last round, which uh, the Neapolitans didn't turn up for because they say they were told by their health authority after coming into contact with another team, Genoa, who were absolutely laden with COVID-19 positives, that they shouldn't travel, so they didn't. Juve turned up for the match pointedly, you know, took the coach, got changed, stood on the sideline and have been awarded this midweek a 3-0 victory and Napoli been hit with a one-point points deduction. Uh, extremely controversial decision, this. Napoli say they will appeal and they are confident of this. The, the, the issue here is, and I don't think this is one that could end up being mirrored in many nations, is, is the difference between regional views and a kind of league-wide uh, protocol and the league's protocol was followed by Juve and they felt Napoli could have done it but Napoli say that the regional health authority told them that legally they had the precedence and that's why they didn't travel so I mean beyond who's wrong and who's right handing a 3-0 win to Juve and a points deduction to Napoli just seems a, a really bizarre wrong wrong-headed decision well, it also throws up the thing remember when Middlesbrough were deducted three points because they didn't play at Blackburn because they had the flu or whatever mm. so we're saying three points for a localised flu, one point deduction for a global pandemic. There doesn't seem to be much kind of relationship there. I don't know. It feels a bit hard. You'd like more for a global pandemic? Well, surely the, 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 no, the no, severity I'd, I'd, of the... I would the, say the severity of the pandemic would suggest that there shouldn't be a points deduction. Yeah, I, I must admit, I would agree with you. They, they are appealing. Um, I imagine there'll be a whole series of appeals and it'll go on for a very long time and then something else will happen at the end of it. Uh, fingers crossed it's, it's something slightly more sensible. But enough about that, Natalie, because we've kept you waiting to talk about <laughs> Brazil and their performance midweek in the second round of South American World Cup qualifiers. There were some thrilling come-from-behind wins here, not least Brazil's. Yes, well, uh, Brazil uh, beat uh, Bolivia in Sao Paulo, 5-0, and then uh, beat Peru in Lima, uh, 4-2. Uh, and we have to talk about Neymar, of course, because mm. not only he scored a hat-trick against Peru, now he's the second biggest goal scorer in the history of the national team. He overcame Ronaldo, yeah. phenomenal. And uh, Ronaldo did a very nice uh, post on his social media congratulating Neymar and saying a lot of really good things about him now so 64 goals in 104 matches and Ronaldo has 62 and number one of course is Pelé 
77, according to FIFA, because the Brazilian FA, they count um, matches against clubs and against combined teams, which is something that happened in the 60s and the 70s. It's like uh, you guys who play for, for uh, the state of Sao Paulo and the state of Rio, mm. uh, patch up a team and play against the national team. So they count the goals that Pelé scored against this in this uh, in this type of matches, you know. So that's why there's a big difference. But FIFA doesn't. Is it wrong? Are you a bit sad about the fact that he's gone past Ronaldo? I am. Oh, mm. thank you for asking that, James, because oh. I'm trying to get over that. Yes. Well, Ronaldo was, was such a big idol for me and like growing up. So there's the the memory of your favorite goal scorer guy just getting yeah. beaten up by, by Neymar. Yeah, no. tarmac yeah. over, like knocked down and they built a supermarket on him. And, yes. and no, there's also, I think, a feeling with Ronaldo that possibly because Cristiano's got the same name and people, you know, young folk get confused, that he's become a little bit forgotten almost for, you know, what an incredible player he was. I feel almost sad every time that I speak about Ronaldo that I have to say Ronaldo phenomenal right after because I know the young the youngsters will think about Cristiano Ronaldo immediately because when you say Ronaldinho everybody says everybody knows it's Ronaldinho but Ronaldo mm. you have to explain come on guys when you say Emerson every oh no actually not so much uh, Karen <laughs> which what do you think uh, do you think Neymar's as good as Ronaldo I'm putting it out there they're, they're different players but um, no which do you like. Uh, uh, <laughs> For me, Ronaldo. I love yeah. Ronaldo. I, yeah. I, uh, my first, one of my very first boots was the Silver R9s. And <laughs> I always had, believe it or not, every birthday from the age of eight, I had a Brazil home and away kit. It was my favourite kit and I've still got them all now. And uh, Ronaldo, when I went on holiday, I'd get Ronaldo put on the back. For me, he was a massive idol. Um, all the Nike adverts in the airport, yeah. you know, for me, he was, he was, I call him the, it sounds a bit harsh to Cristiano, but I would go, oh, the real old Ronaldo, do you know what I mean? So, uh, for me, yeah, he was, he was legit. And Neymar's brilliant as well. Um, but for me, it's got to be Ronaldo. You know, once I interviewed uh, Ibrahimovic and I asked what his favourite Ronaldo was, because he played with Ronaldinho, but Ronaldinho wasn't doing so well now. And he faced Ronaldo, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo many times. And he said, by far, phenomenal. He was the best. He's a big phenomenal fan. So, yeah. so it's official then. Yes. Uh, it, what, what, do they, um, what do they feel in Brazil? Is Neymar loved like uh, Ronaldo? No, no, absolutely oh. not. Well, there's a lot of controversial around Neymar. There's, uh, it's kind of uh, love him or hate him. Because Ronaldo, he has the history of overcoming big injuries. And everybody cried with him in the 2002 World Cup when he won the World Cup after his big uh, knee injury. So there's a sentimental feeling around Ronaldo, around Ronaldo that isn't really there uh, around Neymar many times. Of course, everybody acknowledges uh his his skills and how talented he is and he's the top top player but with Ronaldo there's the the whole story of overcoming challenges so yeah it's different Duncan you you're kind of almost wearing a, a Neymar haircut at the moment would you ever consider doing a Ronaldo 2002 haircut <laughs> with the triangle yeah with it's kind of like the semicircle kind of yeah a half moon yeah right I'll do it why not I mean why not well, there's are, are some reasons why not, actually, yes. But, um, what was the... Sorry if I missed this, but did he ever explain why he did that? 
he he always played pranks with the team. He 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 was he had the nickname of president. Everybody called him the president because uh, he was the big leader. And at this point, when they won 2002 World Cup, he he cut his hair before, and then everybody had to cut his hair. And it was actually a bit controversial because a few players didn't want to because they were older or they were more serious, and they were criticized actually, which is pretty unfair. But uh, yeah, it's just. Just Ronaldo, he, he used to pull up these pranks uh, on the national team all the time. So his teammates cut his hair? No, no. He cut his hair. Ah, right. Okay. And then he cut everybody's uh, ah, hair. Yes. Right. Okay. When they won the World Cup. What, what's he up to now, apart from saying, saying nice things about Neymar? Well, uh, he owns a team uh, in... Of course. Yes, in yeah. Spain, uh, Real Valladolid. And yeah, he's always involved in sports marketing events and, and he's, he's very active uh, in, in the sports industry still. Yeah. Good. Well, I hope he's having a good time. He brought a lot of pleasure to a lot of people. Fantastic. Well, that kind of brings us to the end, listener, of today's Totally Football show. Uh, it's been delightful having you with us, Karen. Thanks for having me. Not at all, not at all. Natalie, always a pleasure to welcome you onto the Totally Show and you, Mr. Duncan Alexander. Listener, thank you for making this all possible via the use of your ears. We will return on Monday morning with hot takes on all that weekend action. Do hope you join us for that. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.